You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. If you haven't yet, please go to timetogowild.com and find out a little bit more about the Go Wild app. Or you can just go to the Google Play Store and download the Go Wild app to your mobile device. Now, I know what you're thinking, what is Go Wild? Now, Go Wild is a social media platform similar to Facebook and Instagram that is focused, and I say focused, with the outdoors, hunting, camping, fishing. If it if it has to do with being outside, then you're going to find a community of like-minded individuals on the Go Wild social media platform. So it's pretty simple. Uh, download the app today at the Google Play Store or wherever you download your apps. Or for more information, visit timetogowild.com. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode freshwater bite podcast this is episode number 16 and yeah man it's uh whoo it was cold out that uh polar vortex blew through and locked up a lot of bigger bodies of water i'm sure for many of you hoping to, to get onto those bigger bays or whatever it's at um as always use caution but i'm excited because this week i actually head out to saginaw bay to fish it uh, pretty hard for the first time. I fished it a few weeks ago and we just kind of had a tiptoe out there. We couldn't get out very deep because the water wasn't that, that hard yet, or the ice wasn't that hard yet. But now I think we're going to be able to go out to that, that target area that we want to get to. And, uh, I'm just excited to fish it over the next few days. And hopefully if all goes well, my goal is to do a live podcast afterwards uh, with the uh, group of buddies that I'm going out with and we can hopefully share with you guys what was working for us and what those fish are doing and um, hopefully you guys will be able to use that and take it out on your next ice fishing adventure as well. But on today's episode, I have a special guest for you guys. Bill Shimoda is here. And Bill is a very well-known uh, professional walleye angler fishing the big-name tournaments like the Cabela's National Walleye Tour. But the reason why I got Bill on today's podcast is he's known for a certain technique called handlining. And Bill breaks down exactly what handlining is, why we all should be using it, when he uses it, and how he uses it during different um, changing river conditions throughout the year. He also talks about how he runs his lines and the setup that he typically runs behind his boat. We also get into new items that you should add to your boat this season. Bill has a side business of rigging boats for professional anglers and the everyday angler as well. But there's a few items that he thinks are key to adding to your boat setup, like the new Lowrance HDS Live unit that'll be coming here shortly this spring. Bill, we did it, man. You're here. Thanks for coming on and do the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Lee. This is great. Hey, so, you know, usually if you just want to give a quick introduction of yourself and um, and, and then we're going to kind of get into, you know, where you grew up fishing and let the folks know uh, kind of where you reside right now. Sure. Uh, well, Bill Shimoda, as you heard already, I'm I'm a resident of Northfield, Minnesota right now, which is uh, just south of the Twin Cities here, about a half hour or so. And uh, basically call 
the Mississippi River, home water, Mille Lacs has kind of been home water to me. And, uh, you know, of course, we got a ton of little lakes around here, but, uh, you know, kind of cut my teeth fishing Mille Lacs and some of the little stuff around here fished uh, a little Tuesday night walleye league is, is basically where it all started for me. Actually, even before that, my first tournament I was ever in in my life, I, my dad signed me up for this little uh, bass tournament for uh, a factory that he worked for. They, it's an invitation-only deal, and I ended up winning that thing and taking home a check and a big trophy, and I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. So, uh, how, that's old, kind of my, how old were you when you won that? I was 16. Oh, man. 15 or 16. I think 16. I think I can drive, yeah. So, <laughs> so then you could, was, dr- uh, you, you could drive that trophy around then after. Yeah, all right. I still got that baby. <laughs> it's not the best looking thing in the world, but uh, definitely uh, I'll never, I'll never uh, get rid of it. That's for sure. But you know, that kind of just, that kind of started it, but that was bass of course. And uh, you know, I don't know how I really got in the walleye thing. It just it was what my family did, I guess, was walleye fished. And I started with the, a little Tuesday night league around home and you know, just kind of along the way you meet people and, and you start networking and, uh, you know, that kind of led into more confidence and, uh, you know, more connections to go other places. And so eventually that led into fishing some state level stuff uh, like the at the time it was the World Wildlife Association I was doing and and then the Minnesota Tournament Trail and so on. And I just kept having success. So I uh, eventually, you know, got into some national level stuff, fishing the Masters Wildlife Circuit and and uh yeah won one of those and kind of then it was the flw league did well there and uh, won the championship on, on that and won a brand new boat and that kind of gave me well i'd say the confidence i think i had the confidence i just didn't have the the money you know and that kind of gave me the financial lift enough to say hey this is the time let's try it and uh went on to fish the flw tour and, and, and never looked back since i guess when you were when you were getting into obviously at the age of sixteen, after you won that first tournament, is that when you kind of wanted to pursue fishing on a more serious level, or did you kind of always grow up um, kind of having that competitive edge? Yeah, I don't. I think I always loved to fish. You know, I can remember back when I was a little kid. You know, it's it's all I did. My parents would drop me off at the lake or wherever at the pond. We'd walk down to these ponds in town and, and fish all day till it got dark out and. And then my grandpa lives uh, on a lake, and my parents would drop me off out there, and I just, they couldn't drag me out of there, you know, I just, I always loved fishing, so uh, maybe that win, yeah, got me kind of opened my eyes, I guess I'd say, to some, the competitive end of things, and made me realize that, you know, hey, you can, you can win money doing this thing, getting paid to fish, you know, does it get, does it get any better than that, and I'm sure I was watching the Bassmasters on TV, and of course, watching uh, the Linders and that kind of stuff back then, you know, that's all we had, you know, today it's endless, the resources you got that people can, can look up, you know, and, and learn, but we really didn't have a whole lot. We had a little bit of TV and some magazine and, you know, I was always into that too. So, uh, yeah, just kind of always had the passion. Okay. And who are some of those people that you met along the way that you say kind of opened doors and transitioned to it? Was it just after you win a tournament that like, would it be sponsors that would reach out to you or is it other names in the industry that you just looked up to that would reach out to you? Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, way back when, I can't even remember some of the names, but eventually, um, you know, eventually it turned into meeting some sponsors and okay, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, basically just 
meeting people that that had done it already or you know that that had these big boats and they were fishing the tournaments and you know just kind of gaining a little confidence through them that hey it's okay to sign up and fish a little bigger tournament it's okay you know you got the talent just go do it it seems like too a lot of the people on the professional level uh from the walleye side of things it seems like there's a lot of you know, cool friendships there too. Like a lot of you guys fish together, even when you're not in the tournaments and you know, you know, that kind of thing is, has that evolved over the years or has that always kind of been there? Yeah, I guess I don't know the evolution of it, but yeah, it's definitely exists. It's kind of funny that, uh, you know, in this sport, some of your worst enemies are your best friends. And, and I think that's what helps, you know, on the walleye side, you know, we're not making millions of dollars. So if you're not having fun doing it, there's no sense in doing it. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta enjoy it. You gotta enjoy the camaraderie with your buddies and, and yeah, it's, it's pretty neat just to, uh, you know, look at some of the guys I looked up at when I was a kid, probably before I even fished a tournament and, you know, now some of them guys are great friends of mine. So, um, yeah, that's been a lot of fun just getting to know everybody and, you know, the tournaments, everybody's got their little groups, their little teams that they travel in. Mm-hmm. I fish with, uh, Dusty Minky and John Hoyer. Okay. Uh, and a little, and a little bit of uh, Dwayne Helm from South Dakota, but you know that's our team. But I mean, we hang out with all the guys. You know, we just love, love the camaraderie for sure. And when when you're kind of hanging out and you're getting to hang out with guys from all over the country and different bodies of water, uh, I'd imagine that just sharpens your guys' skills in areas that you might lack in, whether that be whatever. If it was you're not the best troller, or you know, or jig fisherman, whatever it is. Do, you, do those friendships and relationships kind of help you dive into other areas of, uh, for, you know, to attack different bodies of water? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, I've, I've been helped along the way, you know, or maybe I'd be new to something. And, you know, now eventually people get careful what they tell you, you know, if you start taking right. their money. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and I'm the same way now. I mean, I look at guys that are just getting into it and I have no problem throwing them a bone because it's important. You know, it's just like getting a kid into fishing, you know, getting people into the tournament fishing is important because, you know, if we don't have new people coming into it, we, we don't have anything, you know, there's guys starting to retire and uh, guys that just drop out for whatever reason, you know, you, you always need new blood. So, you know, I have, I have no problem trying to help people. And, uh, you know, people did that for me for sure. You know, I, I definitely, didn't know it all when I started, that's for sure. And I obviously still don't know it all, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, everybody kind of helps everybody out as long as you, you know, you, uh, put a smile on your face and treat everybody with respect. You'll get that respect back. Right. And, you know, so you, besides the competitive fishing side of things, your, your, your passion and everything else kind of spills over into the off season as well. Um, you're, you're also a guide too, right? Uh, yep. Yep. Do some guiding, uh, primarily on the Mississippi river. Um, pools three and four is pretty much all the only place there I'll guide. And, uh, you know, I've been doing, I used to do it a lot years ago and then, you know, then they came up with the deal where the, the coast guards started regulating it and you needed your captain's license. And then, so I had to get out of it for a while. And then, uh, yeah, eventually here two years ago now, I said, you know what, I better get that done and ended up getting my license and started doing it more now. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's, I like guiding. I, I like putting smiles on people's faces and, and I just love fishing. You know, I, <clears throat> I have a lot of fun just being out in the boat, even though I don't get to reel many fish in. I 
you always learn something, especially on a body of water like that. That's different every single day. And so, uh, yeah, I've been doing that for a little bit now. And then I do a little bit on Lake Minnetonka, you know, come summertime when that's up in the Twin Cities here. Come summertime when the, the walleye fishing gets a little tougher, say about July, kind of late June, early July, things get a little tough on the river. It's just so full of food. And, um, you know, I'll do a little uh, little guiding on Lake Minnetonka. And then eventually back in September or so, then I'm back on the river. Like it's really good down there in the fall again. Now, when you're guiding and you take people out, they kind of know you as this this walleye guy. Are you specifically targeting walleye for the most part when you're out guiding, or do you do you enjoy mixing it up as well with uh, you know bass or pike or whatever species tend to bite? Well, on the river, it's you know typically it's walleye sauger. Okay. Uh, but what's nice about down there, especially not so much right away early in the spring, it's pretty much all walleye sauger. But as the water warms up. I mean, you catch everything down there, and that's one kind of fun thing about guiding down there is usually something will save the day if you're not catching a bunch <laughs> of walleyes. It's, you know, you maybe you'll, the guys will hook a 30-pound a carp or, you know, a big catfish or sturgeon or something, and that kind of, you know, that definitely helps save the day sometimes. And, um, you know, if you are having it, maybe people don't really care about keeping fish or whatever. They just want to bend the rod, you know, maybe you'll go, find a school of white bass or something you know and, and lean on them for a while but um yeah really down there you catch everything now lake minnetonka you know i do a lot of bass stuff and uh even pike and panfish kind of depending on the group but um yeah i mean both of those bodies of water and malax too you know they're just so full of life you can catch all kinds of stuff i uh i fished malax for the first time in my life this past fall and i had a blast with just a, a jig head and a minnow and some, and some light tackle and, you know, ultra sensitive rod. And that, I tell you what, that you guys have a special fishery over there. Yeah, it, it really is. It's kind of unfortunate. It's gotten so political over the last several years and yeah, you know, it's, I don't know what to think of it. You know, I guess what I've seen over the years, it's gone through these cycles forever, you know, and, and the way they're regulating it now, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say, I guess, without getting myself in trouble, but I think the lake is fine. I mean, right now, so for instance, last winter, um, the lake was so full of these little perch, these three, four inch perch. They were just everywhere and the fishing was really tough for walleye. Well, now this year, there's no food in there at all and they're just, they're starving again and they're just biting everywhere in that lake right now. And So it's just weird how it goes through these cycles, but it seems to always take care of itself one way or the other so you know now that you got the the smallmouth bass fishermen uh in there too kind of getting their nose in there which is a good thing you know because they care about the lake and they want it they want it to uh to prosper and i don't know it's it's interesting but i think the resorts this year this winter are, are doing fantastic they're uh there's just a ton of people up there from what i understand i haven't been up there this winter yet i will be in a couple weeks here but um yeah that lake is it's alive and well yeah, I've heard the the bite's been phenomenal this winter. It was really good this fall. And it was interesting to hear everyone's take on it, too, because, you know, I went out there for uh, an outing. And um, and to hear the locals like yourself and, you know, some of the other guys that the boats that I jumped into with um, really talk about the history of it. And, you know, like you said, it's so political. You know, we couldn't keep anything in the fall. And, I think this winter you can keep, is it one fish or two fish? I don't even know the, the specifics on that, but yeah, uh, just one fish. Yep. Yeah. Just one fish. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From an outsider's perspective, it, the the fishery seems very, very healthy. But I know that's like, a, you know, that's like a gem for everyone locally. You got a lot of businesses involved. You got the, you know, the DNR, the game and fish involved in that, and uh, you know, a lot riding on that. That lake produces and provides a lot to everybody around the area. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely nice to have around. I don't know. I mean, to me, it doesn't bother. They can make it catch and release forever, and I wouldn't care because, you know, I don't really care if I could keep any or not. But right. but I get it. You know, people definitely want to, if they're going to, especially, it seems like ice fishing especially, they want to make a trip up there. They want to keep a couple fish. So, sure. you know, it's it's tough. It's really tough to regulate because no matter what they do, nobody, everybody won't be happy. So, right. I don't know. I mean, it's we'll see. It's always something up there, but... Um, all right. So the other thing I, that I find interesting, not interesting, but I thought was really cool is you also have a business with rigging boats. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been an electrician since I was in high school, like 21 plus years ago. So I mean, boat rigging for me, always just kind of came natural. I've done it forever. Um, but yeah, the last few years too, I just kind of started, started doing it for people and, it kind of turned it into a business. I got a, a shop now where I could fit a couple boats in at once, and so I started uh, started doing quite a bit. You know, comp- it's uh, it's getting a little complicated. Some of these systems, you know, you used to be able to just oh yeah, hook up positive and negative, turn it on and go. Well, now you got Ethernet and NEMA two thousand and side <laughs> imaging and down imaging and chirp, and you got all this stuff going on, and um, so it's gotten complicated for the average person and. Uh, so I, yeah, I guess I really enjoy doing it. It just kind of comes natural to me, and and not just knowing how to wire things, but just knowing where things are supposed to go on the boat too. Being I'm in that that end of the business too, it's uh, yeah, it's just one of them things that's kind of kind of natural to me. So yeah, it's been it's been good. It kind of I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about more turning that into a career, and we'll kind of see. I'm just kind of tiptoeing into it. I haven't really advertised a whole lot. I've stayed busy enough, just kind of through word of mouth, but. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to maybe kind of get after that a little more here this year. Well, this podcast might help. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so did you find your, were you like fielding a lot of questions at like, uh, tournaments and things like that from other anglers? And like you said, it just kind of came naturally to you or is it, or was it, or did it kind of just start with your buddies kind of dropping their boats off asking if you could rig it up for them? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it started. You know, I would. I always kind of use my boat I get every year as a guinea pig, and I kind of do different things with the mounting and stuff like that. And I've always like played around with transducer placements and, and graph placements and stuff like that. And you know, and then I've gotten some pretty good formulas, and people see that, and then they kind of want theirs done like that. And so I've got business through you know kind of that way. And you know, eventually I had you know there's a handful of guys like myself that get a new boat every year that would bring them to me every year, so that I'd have you know, guaranteed whatever, three, four, five boats, brand new boats every year to do. And so then you, you know, you get all the, all the tools and, you know, you start kind of carrying inventory of parts and stuff like that. So it kind of, I don't know, it's just in the place, I guess. Is that kind of nerve wracking taking on someone's boat like that and their investment and say, you know, they're basically saying, <laughs> you know, here's a brand new boat, start drilling holes in the fiberglass and everything else and figuring <laughs> it out. You know, that's one thing about, I guess, 
I don't know. It's just one of them things that I think being an electrician, like I said, for how many years I'm used to drilling holes in million dollar houses or whatever, you know, so it's kind of, you know, that gives you a little bit of confidence. And two, being that I do my own every year, you know, that kind of gives you confidence in where to put a lot of the stuff. So it doesn't really bother me. You know, anything can be fixed, right? But, you know, you hope, uh, yeah, there's definitely times, say, I get into a new situation where, yeah, I definitely might have to sit there and think about it for a little bit. You just... You just learn in that trade to just kind of be careful. And before you drill that hole, you really got to think everything over and and kind of move everything around and make sure nothing's going to hit this or that or it's not going to leak or you're not going to drill through the bottom of the boat or, you know, you just got to keep a keep a smart mind when it comes to stuff like that when you're drilling holes. But yeah, I mean, it's especially with them boats cost now. I mean, we're looking at like eighty, ninety thousand dollar boats now. It's oh yeah, not like it used to be. Yeah, and that's with the basic setup in there. Um, so some of these technologies that you've seen uh, come in and evolved over the years, um, what are some that you're kind of impressed with as you're rigging these boats where you think uh, more and more anglers should have these things in their boats if they're not in there already or or consider adding it to their boats? Um, well, yeah, there's definitely some of those. I think... I know one thing that we've had really good luck with is the stable mount, electronics mounts. I mean, those things are pretty awesome. I mean, they're just, they're bulletproof. They they look good, they work good, and they just, uh, yeah, they're, they make rigging easy. Um, so, yeah, you could find them around a few places. They got a website, stablemount.com, but they don't, uh, they don't have the greatest website yet, but they, uh, yeah, they're available. They're around. Um, uh, the Airwave seats, for me, Especially got a really bad back. I'm dealing with the herniated disc right now. I mean, those wow. things, those things are awesome. I mean, I could not imagine not having one of them. It's funny when I get my new boat in every year, I'll sit down on it before it has that seat in there, and it feels like you're sitting on a concrete block. It's just so weird. I think you kind of, you just get used to that being under you. And, you know, now after using them, I just couldn't imagine not using it. So, folks, um, folks don't realize the pounding that you take on big waters like that, especially when you're, you know, you're hauling ass to to your spot in a tournament or something like that. It, I mean, the amount of, I mean, the one that the boat that, uh, you know, that we were out on and we were in some some bigger waters and we were we were going pretty fast. You know, they didn't have the smooth, smooth seats or anything like that, but you would try to embrace and anticipate the wave that when you're going to hit. And so you're kind of standing up off of the seat. And after a while, your quads and your legs get so worn out. It's like when you get there, they're like jello. You can't stand up. That's the rodeo, man. It's like snowmobiling all day or something. (laughs) Yeah. So that's super important. That's a, yeah, that's something I think a lot of guys should really, I mean, that could prolong your, your your career of fishing big water and things like that if you've got something to take care of your back. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why I'm paying the price now is all those years of not having something like that. And so, yeah, that the airwaves are, are pretty awesome. You know, for me, I guess, too, I'm excited about the new Lorances, the new uh, HDS Live units that, that just come out. These next couple, few weeks here, I'll be talking a lot about them at the sport shows and boat shows and stuff like that. Stuff's pretty incredible. You want to give a quick bullet point on what those are, are about the new the new HDS Lives? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, basically, um, well, there's a lot of new things, but... Uh, I guess key key bullet points on them. They're going to have the new active imaging, which is uh, like a an upgraded uh, side and down imaging. That's a little better than what you may have seen in the past. Um, 
They also got what's called Live Site coming out, which that's not going to be available right away. I believe sometime in the second quarter, hopefully early second quarter, they're going to be uh, releasing those transducers. But okay. that's like a real, like a real time, uh, are basically like a pan optics kind of deal. Um, and then they also have uh, what's called uh, Genesis Live, which is like real time mapping. Which they've had in the past, but you had to use uh, the Insight Genesis app on your computer to to make the maps. Um, one thing that I think that's really cool is they have the the LiveCast smartphone integration, which is uh, you can have anything that's up on your phone up on your graph. So say you want Google Earth up if you're looking into some backwaters or something, or you could have like your radar if you're watching a storm come in, something like that. Or oh wow. Or maybe you got the kids in the boat and they're getting antsy. You can put on uh, some Mickey Mouse for them and, and watch. And I think that's going to be really neat. And that's that's one of the game changers there. And um, but yeah, just a lot of different little things like a six-panel split. Now you can do. Um, they've got these little shortcut keys. I think I think those might just be on the twelves and sixteens, but they have little shortcut keys where you can. You can program to do anything. You know, you like you may do uh, one of them does does a say a screenshot, or you could put like different waypoints. Like if you hit one, it might be a rock waypoint, or if you hit another one, it might be a fish waypoint. Just kind of little shortcuts. So you don't have to go through any menus. They're kind of the you could design them to be the uh, keys that you most often use are right there at the, the touch of your fingers. So yeah, a lot of little things like that, and there's a bunch more stuff. They're super cool. Yeah, I like that with, uh, like you said, that you don't have to get back to the menu portion of it because really that can that can really slow you down, especially if you're coming up on you know a break or you're trying to drop waypoints. If you've got to hit four or five buttons to do what you got to do, it can get frustrating. I see, I talk to a lot of guys, that's the one of the number one things that they like about they're going to go with a unit that's very simple to use, right? For sure, yeah. I mean, especially as complicated as they're getting, you know, it's... That user interface on the on the HDS units over the years is really is pretty simple, and uh, they made it even better this year with the new units. So well, there's cool. actually going to be a there's going to be a remote available too, where you can you can do the some of the same things. You could program any keys or any features into these buttons. So say you're a troll and you're looking backwards, you're back by the back of the boat, board goes back. Instead of having to walk over to your unit and hit a waypoint, you just reach you know, on your lanyard and hit a waypoint and deal with the fish or, you know, you could do anything. You could do your power poles on it, anything. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. I'm just waiting for the day for like an Alexa app to come there where you say, Hey, drop waypoint. <laughs> Drops a waypoint for you. You're just talking in the boat or something. Well, you know, darn well, that's very possible. I mean, oh, that's... it's coming. <laughs> I, I'm sold just on the fact that you can put your phone stuff up there, like you said, for the kids. Like, you know, if they're getting bored or something like that, throw a Mickey Mouse on there or something like that. That'll, that will that might extend your fishing time by a few hours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you've got the little kids. You know what it's like out there. It's, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, the sky's the limit what you want to put on there. I mean, you could put, like, your trolling app or whatever. I mean, anything. That's so, cool, man. We need well, awesome. So the other reason why, um, if you want to, I wanted to get you on and kind of, uh, talk a little bit about what you're known for, which is obviously the river fishing side of things and more, more specifically about, um, what I think is an intimidating topic or technique to talk about. And 
for me, it, 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 at least it is. And some other anglers that I talk to, and that's hand lining. A lot of guys always talk about how effective it is. And, and then it seems like when you get on the river, a lot of guys just go back to their jig and minnows for whatever it is, pitching jigs or vertical jigging and things like that. At least where I fish over here in the Detroit river system. Um, you do see the guys though, when we're out there jigging and the bite is slow, you'll have the guys coming through the middle with the hand lining and they're, they're ripping the fish in the boat. Can you talk a little bit, um, a little bit about just what hand lining is in case someone listening out there doesn't know what it is? Yeah, sure. It is. It is a little Greek for, for a lot of people, unless you're from the Detroit river, right? Yeah. Um, you, uh, basically, I mean, don't have a rod obviously, and that's why it's called hand lining. Um, so basically you got a spring loaded reel with a steel cable on it and that goes down to what they call a shank. And then on the end of that shank, you have a, a pretty significant piece of weight, anywhere from about one pound to two pound is, is the average range. And on that shank, you have clevises about every six inches. I mean, people do them different. I make my own that only have two on them. But uh, So every six inches, you have a clevis. And then af- off of that clevis, you run a monofilament uh, leader to some type of a shallow diving stick bait or some type of a shallow diving bait. And uh, why it works so good is because with that big old weight you got on there, you're always on the bottom. So in, in a river situation, you know, the fish relate to the bottom of, of the river. And, uh, you know, with that big weight, you're always there. So you're pulling two baits typically that are right on the bottom, you know. So if you're trying to do other things like, say, three-way a crankbait or pull lead core or stuff like that, you can't go up and down and around these different contours and and that kind of stuff and, and stay in the in the strike zone like you can with hand lining. So it's just it's super effective because you're always in the strike zone. Does it help you get through structure where some people are getting snagged on? I mean, does that weight kind of keep you off from getting snagged and things like that as well? Uh yeah, it definitely does because you can control it pretty quick. You know, you could react to the to the structure coming, you know, pretty quick. But I mean I I won't say you don't ever get snagged i mean you definitely get snagged hand lining too right you know that's one one safety tip i'll tell you is never wrap that cable around your finger or around your hand because i mean you if you snag up especially the weight if you snag up one of your leads um you know usually i'll use a 20 pound mono lead you know you snag one of them up you can stiff arm it and break it off but if you snag that weight up you're not breaking that i mean it's breaking the slow your boat down or turn your boat before it would break. So you got to be really careful. You never, uh, never wrap that cable around your fingers. Okay. And then how did you get into this? Oh, you know, it was a long time ago, I guess. I was one of the, one of the first people, uh, an old friend of mine, Rodney York, he, he knew how to do it through, uh, gosh, I don't even really remember. I don't know if it was through Bruce DeShano from offshore tackle. I know, uh, those two were pretty close back when and uh and he he knew some detroit river hand liners and he knew how well it worked so we uh we tried it on the mississippi river and it's uh certainly took off since then i remember uh eric olson was one of the first mississippi river hand liners jason shakirat was one of the first uh myself and rodney and uh yeah it uh for a while there nobody else was doing it so it was all those tournaments, I mean, you wouldn't win a lot of tournaments on the Mississippi because 
you typically don't get the real big fish, but you go through way more numbers than anybody. And so you could always catch like a, about a three pound average, maybe even a four pound average some days. And you were in the top 10 every time for years there. And, you know, over the years, a lot of different people started picking up on it, which is good. I mean, it's, it, it takes, it takes more of some of the people off the big fish stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's a fish catching technique like no other in the, in the right situations, you know, you got to have current and typically you want to have a little dirty water. Okay. And then how, how would you suggest someone gets into hand lining or where should they kind of start? Is there just YouTube videos out there that you kind of go for or a certain book or anything like that? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. And now you got the luxury of YouTube and the internet, the internet knows everything. So um, you could definitely, um, you know, start there. There'll be all kinds of stuff to kind of walk you through it. Uh, like I said before, you usually use multiple lures. Like two lures is is the, the normal thing. And um, <clears throat> typically on those monofilament leads that you run, one of them, the top one, is twice as long as the bottom one. So like a typical setup may be a, like a 5-foot and a 10-foot or a 10-20 or a Gotcha. Or maybe a, a twenty forty, but what I would recommend if you're starting off, if you've never done it before, um, maybe just put one on there so nothing's all tangled up, just one lure, and you'd be surprised at how easy it is to get in and out without making a big mess. Um, but that, that's why we use the, the heavier line. Some guys will use down to like 12, 14 pound. I, I still use mostly 17 and 20 pound. And the reason we do that is when you have that lead, you know, it might be 20, 30 foot long, coiled up in your boat, it doesn't tangle as easy when it's that bigger, heavier uh, monofilament. So, um, you know, it's really, it's pretty simple. I mean, once you get it on the bottom, you just kind of, see, over the years, I've had so many co-anglers in the national level tournaments that have never done it. So I've taught a lot of people how to handline. So, I mean, basically, when they get it down there, I tell them, you know, just just walk the dog. You're just walking it. You know, every time that your hand pumps back, it should feel the bottom. You know, if it's not feeling the bottom, you just let a little slide through your fingers. Um, you know, sometimes they'll let too much line out and start dragging it, but uh, you get a hang of it so quick. I mean, basically, when you think of a pound and a quarter weight banging around down there, I mean, you got pretty good control over it. So it's pretty simple. Right. I got like. And like you said, when, so if you're on the, you can, we can talk specifically, obviously about the Mississippi river, but some of those kind of changing conditions that you were talking about, let's say you start off with, uh, you know, a jig and a minnow or whatever you were doing on the, on the river, what, what causes you to go to the hand line and why is that, you know, important to have that versatility being on the river? Uh, usually it's going to start excelling when the river gets faster and dirtier, um, I think, well, like on the Detroit River, many of those guys will know that, you know, you get nice, clean water coming out of St. Clair, you're going to probably uh, be fishing a jig and a plastic, but uh, as it dirties up, you get some wind or rain, you know, then that's when the hand liners start doing a little better. Right. And it's kind, of, it's kind of the same thing here, um, you know, as we get less flow, a little cleaner water, you know, our, our water is always pretty much dirty, but it's amazing what a couple inches of visibility, how that'll change things. But uh, typically when we get a lot of flow and it's really roaring, you know, hand liners are going to do way better than the guys trolling lead core and the guys trying to cast stuff around. Um, but yeah, typically any river system and the general rule of thumb 
if the river is high and rising, you want to go a little shallower. If it's low or falling water, then you want to get out deeper. You know, those fish will start getting out towards the middle of the channel more. Uh, more current's going to push them up into the shorelines, into the rocks and trees and things that where they can get out of the current. Yeah, and it seems like, um, you know, I'm familiar with a bite on, uh, of what you're talking about. Uh, right we're at the the bottom of the Detroit River and the Trenton Channel. It'll leak out or go out into, obviously, Erie there. But it'll, if you look from like a satellite view, you're going to see this mud being kind of pushed down into the where the mud meets the clear water. And if you troll them stick baits or crankbaits in and out of the mud, that's where you're going to get that bite. And I think it's more of that reaction bite that <clears throat> that you're getting for those spawning fish that are that are get, staging to go up into the river. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'll never forget the first one I caught on the Detroit River. I thought it was snagged on the bottom. So we don't get a lot of them big ones handlining over here. Right. All of a sudden, I told my buddy, I'm like, whoa, whoa slow down. I think I'm snagged. And I'm holding it. And all of a sudden, it started swimming. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a 28 and a half inch or, you know, but boy yeah that's fun i mean i just well, it's fun catching catching fish that big on anything but well, it's a lot of fun hand lining out there there's nothing nowhere else like it has has hand lining um boosted you in a tournament significantly at any point that you can think of of changing it up like that oh definitely um you know there was i know i i should have won uh the mwc in spring valley in 2004 and that was kind of just starting out then and you know we already had four fish you know we needed was that fifth one and we would have won and we had it on three times we just you know there's little things over the years that you learn to keep fish on i guess real quick i can touch on that one thing would be uh you know you get a fish on you want to slow your boat down um if it's a, a good fish that you really need I'd, I'd suggest having your buddy pull in his line just get it out of the way and then back the kicker off and Usually you're going to be actually slipping back in the current, so you'd be going backwards, and then that fish is going to come almost like straight up to you. Um, so you got to be careful with that. There's a ton of pressure on that fish. You don't want to rip them off. And another thing that I don't even really want to tell you, but um, in the last couple of years, Berkeley's come out with these new hooks called Fusion 19 hooks. Okay. You guys need to use them on everything. They're unbelievable. I mean, it's that's one thing. It doesn't matter if you're trolling or casting a flicker shad or if you're hand lining or no matter what you're doing. Those hooks are unreal. They just got a really, I mean, they got the sharpest, stickiest points you've ever felt. And not, not only that, it's the, the barb design that they have is it's, there's something about it. It's just really deep. And you'll notice that when you use them hooks, you got to use a pliers almost every time because that barb just pins them fish on. But Anyway, um, yeah, so if I would have had, if I would have known stuff like that back in 2004, I probably would have won that tournament. But uh, the 2007 FLW League Championship, um, like I said, that tournament that really got me into the big leagues, and that, that one I was handlining the whole time. Three days I never used a rod and reel. And that was one of them deals. It was a fall bite on the Mississippi, and things were really tough. And, you know, like I said, it's not a good way to catch real big fish. But it's a way to catch numbers, and that was one of them scrounge matches where um, anything went in the bowl. You catch a 15-incher, and that was like winning the lottery. So on uh, three days, I, I only had a limit that first day. I think I had three fish the second day, four fish the third day, but that was enough to enough home, take home the win there. And, um, so, yeah, the Mississippi River, about any pool, the Illinois River. And I also made a run at the FLW Tour Championship in 2010, I believe it was. 
um, on the Missouri River out of Bismarck. I made a top five out there, and I, I handlined the whole tournament. I never never touched a rod in four days. So it pretty much works everywhere you got current. That's pretty cool. I, I mean, I think uh, you'll be able to speak to this, but sometimes when you're out there, it's like going back to basics of what you know extremely well. Um, do you ever, you know, when you were first getting started into the tournament style of things, did you find yourself overcomplicating it a little bit? And then, you know, to go back to something that you're so good at, like handlining or knowing the river systems, you know, going back to just how you grew up fishing and, and learning how to do, it's almost like sometimes you don't want to overcomplicate it and just really hone in on what you're really good at. And that can really boost you up in the tournament. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I look at how I kind of got into it. I mean, obviously you can't handline everywhere, but one of the things that that got me uh, into uh, some good tournament finishes earlier in my career was probably trolling lead core. You know, it was just something I was confident in. I did it a lot on Mille Lacs and out on Lake Pepin here. And, um, you know, you get confident in a, a technique like that, you can pretty much use it anywhere. And, you know, guys, everybody kind of has their has their strengths but you know in time if you want to fish on the on the biggest stage you kind of got to learn how to do it all but um definitely uh definitely got to fish your strengths i mean handline is one of them things i am so confident in it that if i i know if i make a pass through an area and i don't catch anything i'm pretty confident that they're not there or they're just not active you know they're not biting where there's a lot of other techniques in river fishing where you just don't know maybe you just didn't make that right cast or you know maybe you had the wrong color on or something but you know with hand lining i'm so confident that uh you can rule out a lot of water in a hurry for sure right so the nwt schedule is out for 2019 looking at the event schedule is there any in particular that you're super stoked about or looking forward to um, I really like the schedule all around. Um, obviously we're, we're supposed to start in Red Wing. I'm yeah. We're supposed to, cause we were supposed to last year too. And they, they moved it to Oshkosh, but, um, obviously I, I, I'm excited about that. I don't feel like I have a huge advantage to win just cause you get that home, home water curse, you know, and, and it's kind of a time of year too. It's going to be a boat number thing to an extent. And, um, but yeah, just hope to get a, a top 10 or at least a check out of that one. It's just nice being close to home. I can go home and see the family throughout the week while I'm pre-fishing and stuff. And right. So that, that'll be awesome. But I guess the one I'm really looking forward to is uh, Sault Ste. Marie. I've, I've never been there before, and it just looks beautiful up there. And I absolutely love fishing new bodies of water like that. You know, I think a lot of times that gives you a, an opportunity to break through because you go in with a, a fresh slate and a clean slate, and you, you might just find something that – other people wouldn't or don't. And, uh, so yeah, really looking forward to that. And you know, all of them, Marinette Menominee, Green Bay, that'll be cool. A little different time of year than we're used to. And of course, Devil's Lake, which is my favorite, uh, probably my favorite place to fish. I just love going out West and, um, you know, definitely looking forward to that. I think it's about time I get another championship win here. Yeah, for sure. It always seems like Devil's Lake is always a, is always a toss up with, with folks going out there with, uh, um, you know, someone new every year kind of takes the podium out there at Devils, and it's such a fish, uh, you know, a diverse fishery where it's it gets won differently every single year. You know, based off of what technique you're using and where the fish are that time of year. Yeah, and that's and that's what's nice. You know, you, if uh, well, you see that in Red Wing a little bit. You know, people over the years, you know, thanks to the internet, especially. 
you know, there's not a lot of secrets, but, you know, like you said, with Devil's Lake, it is always something different. You know, the last time we were there and the time before that, the water was about three foot lower. So, I mean, it was a completely different ball game. And then anytime you're there a different time of year, you know, it's it's going to be something different. So but we've been in there. We've been out there in September in the past. I think a lot of guys are going to know what to do. So we'll see what happens. Um, but every time, you know, you you take a little out of each tournament. So I, I know I know a lot more this time going into that tournament than I did last time. So but so does everybody else. So it'll be a it'll be a great place to have a championship. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, maybe I'll see you in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, and I'm thinking about fishing that as a co-angler, and it's not too far from Great. Me. Sweet. But, uh, yeah, uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, that's a body of water that, I, I mean, even I don't even know. I've never been there or, or fished it or anything like that. But, you know, sometimes when you go into those bodies of water that, that you've never been on, like you said, it kind of works out for your benefit because you're not fishing on memories or anything like that can that can get you into a trap on a slow day, you know? There's no doubt about it. I mean, it doesn't even sound real, but it's it's real. <laughs> Basically, in a nutshell, you fish where the fish are supposed to be instead of fishing where the fish actually are. Right. So it, it's real, man. It's it's a real thing. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and you know sharing so much valuable information, especially with the hand lining stuff. I hope a lot of people get out there and, and, and research it a little bit more and you know, like you said, having those things in your boat and being willing to adapt to the way the river's acting, you know, we'll be on the rivers here before you know it. So that can really put more fish in the boat. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of them things. Um, I got a quick story about that one. Uh, one time I was with a coiler that had never handlined before and we pull into a spot and I'm catching them one after the other. I probably caught four or five already. And he's like, ah, man, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I catch any? I said, ah, oh, why don't you reel up your line quick? You probably got leaves on there or something. And he pulled his line in, and he had a fish on each lure already. He had two of them <laughs> dragging around. Didn't even know it because it happened so fast. He didn't know what he was even feeling for. So, Oh, he's, uh, he's just like, oh, it's supposed to pull this hard. <laughs> right. He didn't know. It was pretty funny. So, yeah, definitely a technique that's uh, that's when the conditions are right, it's awesome for sure. Well, people can follow you, I know, on the, the National Walleye Tour this season, but also where on, uh, where on social and things like that can folks find you? Uh, yeah, my main social I use is Facebook, of course, at Bill Shimoda. And then uh, my Instagram page is Billy Shoals. And that, those are pretty – I got a Twitter account. I really don't use that much. And um, my rigging business is and guiding business is called XL Angling. Uh, and I just haven't, uh, as you know, with little kids, I haven't had a whole lot of time to get my social media stuff and website and all that up and going, but, uh, Oh, it's tough, dude. You just feel bad being on it all the time and things like that. Sometimes when the kids are around and it takes a little bit of practice to get into, to fall into those habits. Oh yes. But uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So, um, yeah, anything, anything, anybody needs you get a hold of me on Facebook for sure. And, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Hoping for a great season. Well, we we wish you luck, and uh, I'll uh, link to all those those um, those show in the show notes. I'll link to your businesses and also to your social, so folks can uh, go to my website or look in the show notes to to find Bill. Perfect. Appreciate Thanks, it, Lee. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Absolutely. All right. See you, bud. All right. Take care. 
That is episode number 16. That's a wrap, guys. I want to thank Bill Shimoda for stopping by the podcast today and uh, going a little bit more in depth about what handlining is, when to use it, and uh, sharing his setup a little bit and some of the weights that he uses and the lines that he runs when he's handlining. Also, his boat rigging business. I thought that was pretty cool to talk about the new features of the HDS Live um, system from Lawrence. Looking forward to seeing that. And I hope you guys were able to walk away with uh, a lot of value from this podcast episode. And if there's something that you guys want to see in the future, remember, DM me on Instagram um, at Freshwater Bite and send a message my way. Head on over to Facebook as well. There's a page over there for the Freshwater Bite podcast. If you wouldn't mind, like that page. And you can also message me on there as well if there's any kind of uh, topics you guys want to go over, uh, techniques, bodies of water, anybody in particular you think we should have on the podcast. I'm always open to ideas. Until next time, folks, we'll see you. And as always, thanks for listening.